morning. Please be seated. Welcome, Door Creek Church, to our second service this morning. We're very glad that you're here. And um, before we get started, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how the um, service is going to go this morning. But before we get started with that, I need to uh, remind you of a couple of things. One is, if you have a cell phone or a pager, we ask that you silence it. And if you have small children, they're very welcome to be part of our service but if you feel a need to take them out, there's a couple of options for you. Uh, the atrium has monitors, so you'll still be able to view what's going on in the service. There's also a soundproof room off to the left here, and there are children's programs downstairs that you might want to um, take part in as well. And I also want to um, let you know about um, Mark Myfair, our new senior pastor's um, first series is going to start next week. It's going to be called, uh, or it is called, Cover to Cover. He's going to be taking us through the books of the Bible uh, it's not going to be like a two- or three-year-long process. It's just going to be several weeks to give us an overview of uh, how the scriptures came to be. So this is a very, very exciting weekend in the life of our church. Do you sense that? Yeah, good. Great. You're with me. That's great. I'm here um, representing the board, representing you, actually, on the board. My name is Brian Rust. And... Um, what we're going to do uh, in this service is have a special service of commitment, uh, call and commitment for Mark as our new senior pastor. And the way that's going to um, come about is we're going to have a couple different segments, and I wanted to explain a little bit about what's going to happen, since this is kind of all new to all of us, really. I haven't been part of a commissioning service for many, many, many years. Um, and that's basically what it's going to be. We're going to be commissioning or um, uh, committing ourselves to Mark and Mark to us and both of us to the Lord um, in this new venture that we're going to be embarking on together. The first thing that we're going to do is I'm going to come up again in several minutes after we do some more singing and um, explain a little bit more about maybe what our role is as the church body in receiving a new senior pastor. Then um, after another... Uh, time, uh, Dr. Ken Moberg is going to come up, and uh, Ken is the um, district head for the Evangelical Free Church of America district that we're part of the E-Free Church, and he's going to come and issue a call, a special charge to Mark as our new senior pastor. Then um, the board and the um, staff are going to come and, and join Mark, and we're going to pray over him, and we're going to do something a little unique Actually, it's spoken of throughout Scripture. There are many examples of uh, placing hands on someone when you have a special prayer of commitment or a special charge to them. So that's what we're going to be doing. And then Mark will um, take some time to teach us uh, from his heart uh, where he's coming from and actually uh, a call to you to pray for him. And then that will be our service. This is all worship. This is not about just a few of us up here doing something, but... In particular, this morning, this is about all of us being together, um, not only in worship of our Lord and Savior and in praise of him, but participating in the activities that take place this morning. So let's all continue together in worship. As I started thinking over the last few weeks about um, what to say as a charge to you, to me, and to you as the congregation I started thinking about the various kinds of ceremonies of commitment that we have in the church, um, probably starting with when a child is born in our midst, we have what we call a baby and parent dedication that has witnesses. 
The congregation is a part of that. Then when um, somebody, well, when a, a man and a woman come together in marriage, we have a special ceremony that, again, has witnesses, from the, usually from the congregation and extended friends and family. Then when someone becomes a follower of Christ, when they make a commitment to Christ, usually one of the first things they do, not long after that, is um, be baptized. And that is not done um, in the privacy of uh, their home or whatever, away from other people. That is done with witnesses, with friends, members of the congregation. But this morning, as we're calling Mark uh, to commitment as our senior pastor, and he is calling kind of to commit us to him, we become more than witnesses. We're part of the whole ceremony, part of the deal, so to speak. And there's a couple of particular passages, short passages in Scripture that were helpful to me in understanding what is our role as members of the congregation. And one of the first ones comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which reads, For we are God's fellow workers. This is Paul speaking as a teacher, as an apostle. He's saying, we the teachers are God's fellow workers. You, we, me, are God's field, God's building. So he uses this metaphor, these two metaphors of a field and a building for us as the congregation. And I thought about, well, what is a field like? What, is a, what do you do to a field? What does a farmer or a gardener do to a field? Well, they plow it. They stir it up to get it ready. Um, they uh, plant seed. They water it. They nurture it. Maybe they worry over it a little bit. And similarly, in that relationship between a congregation and a pastor, our pastor plants seeds and waters or nurtures us, maybe sometimes challenges us or even rebukes us, kind of along the lines of the plow turning the soil to make it ready, and cares over us deeply, maybe even worries about us a little bit. And then there's this other metaphor of us as God's building, not cold stones making a building. But maybe if I go to another passage where Peter wrote to the church in 1 Peter 2, it'll help illustrate this even further, where he says, you also, again, you, me, all of you, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So again, we're not cold stones, we're living stones. What in the world is that like? Living stones. Fitted together, fitting together, being fitted together, maybe, with the help of our pastor, into a spiritual house. Again, not into a cold building, but into a spiritual house which where we can accomplish more together than we ever could separately as just a separate stone. So my charge to you, to us, is to think of ourselves in that way and, and to ask the Lord to prepare us as a field and as living stones and to think and pray through what might that be like as we take in a new senior pastor, 
to be willing to be taught and challenged and led and to be willing to be fitted together as living stones in God's building. It's a great privilege for me to be back with you again today as you welcome your new senior pastor. My role this morning is to speak a few words to him, and uh, your role here is not incidental to that. You are witnesses to the things that I speak to him this morning. And what I want to share with your new pastor comes from some words that uh, Peter shared in 1 Peter chapter 5 as he addressed elders of a flock like this one. So the words are on the screen, and I urge you to follow along with me here. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. I believe this passage says a lot to those who would lead in a church. It speaks to the issue of leadership. And I've highlighted some words in the text that help us to draw out what Peter's getting at here in this unique leadership role. The first word that you'll see highlighted is in verse 2, care. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. And that word care or care for translates a Greek word for shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that has been entrusted to your care. This shepherding role speaks of of a particular kind of leadership. It's a caring leadership, a nurturing leadership, but a strong leadership. And so that we don't confuse that strong leadership role, Peter goes on to elaborate what he wants us to see in that role, and he does it by drawing out three other words Each one comes with a corresponding contrast as he seeks to define this strong and caring leadership role. And so, Pastor Mark, I want to deliver these to you. The first thing that Peter says to you about how you are to lead is that you are to watch over the flock willingly and not grudgingly. In other words, do this because you want to rather than because you have to. And you know from years of ministry experience that there do come those times when you just sort of have to get up and do the thing that is at hand. It's a part of the job that we may not have chosen for ourselves and may not treasure for the moment, but we need to ask ourselves in that moment, am I doing this because I have to or because I want to? And get back to where it becomes a want to thing. When you make a phone call to somebody and they're, they're not there, and, and you get the answering machine instead. Will your response be, oh, I am so glad I didn't really have to talk to this person. I can just leave a brief message now and be done with it. Or will you be disappointed that you didn't get to connect? When you 
pay a visit to somebody at the hospital and you go to their room and they're not in the room, they're out for tests. And you scratch a, a hasty note, do you, do you leave it there quickly and run out the door? Uh, or do you say, I, I am disappointed that I didn't get to connect with this person. Be careful that the have-tos don't overcome the want-tos in your ministry. Watch over the flock willingly or, and not grudgingly. The second thing that, that Peter gets at here is uh, an eagerness to it all. Not for what you will get out of it. This is referring to financial reward. Uh, one translation says, uh, not greedy for money. So that's the, the negative side, but the positive side is because you're eager to serve God. And if, if the first clarifier that Peter gives has to do with wanting to, this has to do with getting to. And uh, one of the Door Creekisms that you're going to hear again and again, and, and your worship team will lead strongly in this, is uh, I get to do this. I remember coming here to speak for the first time and hearing the worship team saying, we get to do this. And the sense of privilege that comes across in that notion is so strong. I pray that many times you'll find yourself saying, I get to do this. I get to serve the King of Kings here. Uh, I am eager to serve God in this place. And then the final uh, clarifier of this whole thing that Peter gives has to do with a certain style of leadership, not lording it over the people assigned to your care, but being an example to them, a strong example, an example of Christ-likeness. We're talking about a flock here. We're talking about sheep. One thing about sheep is that they will not be driven. They can only be led. And so I urge you to lead as a Christ-like under-shepherd of the great shepherd. Robert Murray McShane, the great Scottish preacher, was once asked, what's the greatest thing you can give your congregation? His answer was in two words, my holiness. He saw the importance of, of living the kind of life before them that they would want to follow as he followed Christ. Mark, I urge you, follow Christ, and, and the flock will follow you. Lead by a shining example. In fact, I'd, I'd call you to take McShane's words to a higher level even and say that my passion for Christ is my biggest gift to this congregation. Let that passion show from your life as a shining example that draws them to follow. If you'll do these things in, in this strong and caring type of leadership that Peter describes here, the flock will be well served and you will be rewarded by the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Verse 4 tells us, when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Treasure these words. Maybe you'll want to write them out on a note and stick them somewhere on your desk and come back to them often as a reminder of the shepherd role that God has called you to here. We have a tradition here in the Forest Lakes District to uh, commemorate the installation of a, a new senior pastor this is just sort of one of those times when you need a symbol for what's going on here. And so we've kind of come up with one, and it's a sort of a, a Northwoods type of thing, maybe, as we seek to translate that symbol of biblical leadership. But uh, throughout Scripture, the shepherd's staff has been a symbol for those who would lead God's people. 
You think back to maybe the first one you see in Scripture where, where Moses you know, tends the flock uh, of Midian and, until he is, is called out to deliver God's people from Egyptian bondage. And, and he takes that shepherd's staff, and as a sign of the power of God, he throws it down before Pharaoh. It becomes a snake. He picks it up by the tail, and it's a staff once again. You think about that same staff that, that Moses held over the Red Sea and watched the waters part so God's people could cross over on dry ground. Again, the sign of, of God's power at work through his servant, his shepherd leader. You think about Moses holding up the staff with his arms while the Israelite army was, was fighting the Amalekites. And as long as he could hold that staff up, the Israelite army was prevailing. But his arms grew tired, and he lowered the staff, and suddenly the Amalekites were gaining the upper hand. And along came two faithful men, Aaron and her, to hold his hands up and to hold that staff up until the Israelite army could win the battle. Think of David, the shepherd king, who had no aspirations for the kingship, until Samuel came and said, I anoint you as king over Israel. I think the shepherd's staff never left David's memory as he served God by leading his people. You think about the 23rd Psalm that, that he authored. The Lord is my shepherd. And the shepherd's staff remained with him. And so as we commemorate the installation of your new senior pastor, I want to give a shepherd's staff to Pastor Mark. Would you come up? It is inscribed with a plate that says, Shepherd the flock of God that is under your care, from 1 Peter chapter 5 that we just looked at. And I want to share some affirmations with you and with the congregation here this morning and uh, ask you to, uh, to affirm some things together with me this morning. You have been uh, guided by the Holy Spirit to call Mark Myfair to be your senior pastor. By this act... You have indicated your confidence in him to be the shepherd of this flock. I charge you to receive the word of God through him in all meekness and love. Undergird him with your prayer. Assist and encourage him in the labors which will be his here in the service of God. In all things show him your love. Esteem him highly for his calling as your pastor and accept him as your spiritual leader. If these are your intentions. Would you please support him and the continuing ministry of this church by responding to a couple of questions? First, will you receive Mark Myfair to be your pastor, recognizing his place in spiritual leadership and receiving the word of God through him? If this is your intent, would you please answer, we will. We will. And will you do your full part to supply his needs in a way that will be pleasing to God? And will you encourage him and share with him in the work of Christ in this church? If this is your intent, would you please answer, we will. Now, Mark, my brother in Christ, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you have been called by this congregation to the office of senior pastor. God and this congregation have committed the shepherding of this flock to you. And you are admonished by God to be urgent in season and out of season, to convince, rebuke, and exhort, to be unfailing in patience and in teaching, in all sincerity to preach the word, to administer the sacraments in accordance with the scriptures, to comfort and counsel the sick, the sorrowing, and the troubled, and to instruct all to live up to their calling 
in Christ Jesus? Are you willing to assume this responsibility in the strength that God has given you? By God's grace, I am. I want to invite the board and the staff to come up now, and we're going to pray over Pastor Mark, lay hands on him, and uh, Brian is going to lead us all in prayer. Would you join us by standing, please? I want you to take a few seconds and look around and uh, savor this time, remember this time. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for saving us through the gift of your son Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being an example to us, for dying on the cross on our behalf. Thank you that when you left to be with the Father, you did not abandon us, but you sent your Spirit to be with us here on earth to guide us, to comfort us, and counsel us. Thank you also, Lord God, that you have provided us with teachers and encouragers and mentors and friends in the faith over the years to help us to grow and be more faithful to you. Lord God, we thank you for bringing Mark to us and for bringing us to Mark. We ask you to bless him as a teacher, as a compassionate gardener, and as an expert builder. Please work through him to grow us and to shape us. Help us as well, Father, as the flock, to be willing, um, willing to be molded and shaped, um, to be fitted together as living stones, to be willing to be encouraged and taught and challenged. Lord God, all to the end that we might do great things for your glory. We want to do great things, not for our benefit, not for our glory, but for your glory. And we pray that you would help us to do that, that your purposes would be fulfilled in Mark and in us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and by the authority of this congregation and the Forest Lakes District of the Evangelical Free Church of America, I now declare that Mark Myfair is duly installed as pastor of this congregation. May God be pleased to bless this relationship of pastor and people which has now been established in his name. Would you welcome your new senior pastor? Grab my Bible here and encourage you to take yours. 
Well, this is all very, very exciting, and it's all very, very humbling. Um, I was telling the congregation earlier that um, it's really good to be here because two weeks ago I had a dream that I missed it. <laughs> it was terrible. So uh, what a relief to actually be here in the place I'm supposed to be. Um, and we are so excited. Um, if you'd given me a piece of paper, say, what do you think God's going to do a year ago? In my wildest dreams... I would have never written a script. Never, ever, ever. And um, as we find ourselves here, welcomed by this loving church, our excitement is also matched with a great sense of awareness that apart from Christ, I can do nothing, I have nothing, and um, I'm desperately dependent upon him to follow his call and your call to be one of the pastors here at this church. And so my response is simply, help, (laughs) pray for me. And there's three ways I would like you to pray for me. And hopefully it's not just about me as I'm asking you to pray for me, that these things, as you find yourselves, perhaps most of us here, a follower of Christ, wholly committed, that you say, this is what I need to be about as well. And they're found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, you can find that in your Bible. It's up on the screen. It's on page 905 in the uh, Bible in the rack in front of you. And there's three things that come out of this passage that really has marked my life. This passage, since God confirmed his call in my life. Here's the short summary. Came to faith as a young boy. Loved Christ with all my heart. Junior high, total crisis, far away from God. If you knew me in junior high, the last thing you'd think is, I bet that guy's going to be a pastor. <laughs> you, you think this guy's heading for the Audi home. I mean, the correctional center, this guy's in trouble. But at the end of junior high, God did something amazing. As he brought me back to himself, he also gave within me a sense of call and a desire to be a pastor, specifically a youth pastor. And he confirmed that call my junior year in college. And this passage became key for me then in 1979 and has marked my life for ministry. And so I share it so you understand kind of what drives me, but more importantly, how you can pray for me, how you can pray God's word for me. And the three prayers are found in these opening 13 verses of chapter 2. The first is that I'd always remember how God defines success, not how the world does. I'm so aware of that, how God does. Secondly, that I'd always serve with the proper motivation, that I'd embrace it, live to please God, not to please people. And third, that I'd always follow God's pattern for ministry. So look down at verse 1 of chapter 2, and he's saying something here about success, even though he doesn't use the word. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. There it is. We'd previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. Remember, they were beaten and thrown into the Philippian jail. 
as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Paul says, hey, Thessalonians, it's true. I was just in your city for a short time. Acts 17 tells us he reasoned in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. Was he there two weeks, three? Not more than a month. And the end of the story in Thessalonica is that there's this huge uprising. The Jewish leaders instigated a mob, the mob, a riot. And the result was in the middle of the night, Paul's friends said, you got to get out of here. They're going to kill you. And Paul writes back and says, just in case you're thinking the whole thing was a disaster, a failure, I want you to know it wasn't that. It might look like that from a human evaluation, but it was a success. And then he tells us why it was a success. Because he was faithful, even in the midst of opposition, to give them the gospel. In chapter 1, if you've got your Bible open, look down at verse 5. And he says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. What kind of power? With the Holy Spirit working through the word and with deep conviction. When Paul spoke, you had a clear understanding. If you were listening to him, he believed this gospel to be true. And what was the gospel? You go back to Acts 17, and it says he was reasoning from the scriptures, the Old Testament, that the Messiah, the promised Savior, had to suffer. And that Jesus, who was crucified in Jerusalem, Jesus of Nazareth, is actually that promised Savior. But he goes on to say in verse 8 of chapter 2, I didn't just give it, but I lived it. He had a keen understanding of how God defines success. It's faithfulness to giving and living the gospel. Well, what a good thing for you to pray for me. Because in our day, how we evaluate successes, how many people were at Door Creek last Sunday? Wow, you're really growing. Must be successful. How many new followers of Christ are there? How big is that staff? You see how it works? It's all quantified in numbers. And folks, that's not it. As we get, we want lots of people. I want lots of people to come through here. But if we think that's how we define success, we will lose our way. I will lose my way. And so you pray that I don't, that I always remember that God says, this is what I require of a steward, 1 Corinthians 4.2, that he or she be found faithful. And Paul says he was approved by God and given a trust, this gospel. And he said, it wasn't a failure because even though I had three weeks, I gave it to you. In what I said and how I lived. You pray that I always remember that. Pray that we as a church would always remember how God defines success. The second thing he prayed is seen there in verse 3 has to do with motives. I'll tell you what, if we get the wrong definition, we'll really be off on the motives and quickly become people pleasers. He says this about his ministry, though. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. 
On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Paul says, here's the trial. Here's the deal. You're either going to please people or you're going to please God. You pray that I would always live for the applause of heaven and not for the praise of people. Well, that's especially important as one begins a new ministry. I mean, do you think I will ever wake up and say, man, I hope the people at Door Creek ate my guts. I mean, there's a reason I had a badger ball cap on when I candidated. I've never rooted for the badgers in my life. I'm going to, but I I never have. I want you to like me, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's natural, because I want you to love Jesus. So I want you to like me. But the danger is that in wanting you to like me, even for the right end, that again, I lose my way. And that it becomes about me and about you. If I gave each of you a three-by-five card and said, tell me what I should be doing in the next six months, do you think there's any way I could meet all your expectations and all your desires and wishes and make you all happy? There isn't. And God, in his word, says, you don't have to. He delivers not just me, but all of us from the tyranny of doing the impossible, trying to please everyone. There's a great story about a young man who played football for Lou Little. Lou Little was the head coach for Georgetown University football team. This young man was a very average player. Yeah, he made the team, but he never played. But this young man had the coach's esteem. And here's why. Whenever this man's, young man's father visited campus, you would see that. He would see the young man and his dad walking arm in arm around the campus. And that kind of bond and affection just really resonated with the coach. He thought very well of this young man. One day he received a call from the player's mother who told the coach the shocking news that her husband had just died and she didn't have the resources to tell her son and ask the coach if he'd go over and break the news to him. Three days later, the young man returned to the coach and said, Coach, I want to play this weekend's game. Put me in. The coach hesitated but then said, You know, I'll put you in for a play or two. And so that next week at the beginning of the game, the coach put him in, and he never took him out of the game. The guy played like an all-American. And he said at the end of the game, the coach did to this player, what in the world got into you? I've never seen you play like this. And the young man said, coach, not everybody knew this, but my dad was blind. That's why we'd walk around campus arm in arm. And I like to think that today was the first time that my dad ever saw me play football. Paul had an understanding that his father saw his every move that he tested his heart, every motive, 
you pray that I would always be motivated to please God. The third thing to pray is found in verses 7 and following. And it has to do with following the pattern of ministry that's outlined in God's Word and in the lives of God's leaders. And it's wrapped up in a word of love. He first of all talks about how his love for the people was like a mother. The word there is of a a nursing mother caring for her infant child. He said, that's how I loved you. And you think about that newborn. You've, You've had that newborn in your arms and you've been there when someone's handed you that newborn. You're going, oh my goodness, that baby is so small. Got to make sure I don't drop this package. You get your hand behind his or her neck and you hold on for dear life. You have this clear sense of gentleness, fragile. Paul said, that's how I saw people. Like that package with the red and white banner, fragile, handle with care. No matter how young, how old, how stern, how gentle, you handle God's people with an understanding that we're all fragile. We all need to be handled with care, with gentleness. That's how he loved the people. He goes on in verse 8 to say, we loved you with an incarnational ministry. It was very much living it out before you. It was transparent. So he was willing to share not only the gospel, but his own life. To let them see, as you will see, God's work in me. I haven't arrived. I'll never get there until God calls me home or calls us home together. So you will see my progress in the faith by God's grace. That's how he loved his people, by being real in front of them. He loved them by working hard, verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. That's how you love your people, and that's how I, with God's strength, want to love you, through hard work. And by not putting a burden, by putting forth the grace of our Lord. You know, a burdensome ministry means that you walk out of here going, Oh, man, do I feel guilty. Oh, man, I've got to do all this stuff. And it becomes a legalism that binds you and discourages you and gets you thinking that Christianity really isn't about a relationship. It's really about a religion. It's really not about what Christ has done. It's what I need to do. And it becomes burdensome to you. But the gospel is a gospel of grace. And you pray that I would always trumpet the grace of our Lord Jesus and always point to him as our only hope. And he goes on, he says, I loved you by living out a godly life. Verse 10, you are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Godly character. That's how you love people. And the way we see it most clearly is when a leader falls into grave sin and we see the huge impact that that brings on God's people. It is so unloving. We get that. But pray that I would love you as by God's grace I grow in godliness. 
And then he ends by talking about loving like a father. Verse 11 and 12, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, or the word could be translated exhorting, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. When I read that verse, I can't help but see my dad parked in front of Haven Junior High School with me in the side seat, and we're in the blue 1968 Volkswagen Bug. And it was our routine. He took me to school every morning, and before I got out of the car, he always prayed for me. And what he was doing is, as my father, he was urging me to walk in a manner worthy of the God who had called me into his kingdom and for his glory. And so you pray that as your pastor and one of your pastors, that I would follow this biblical pattern of ministry and love God's people in these kinds of ways. And then I want you to know how I'm praying for you. It's seen in verse 13. Paul says, You brothers became imitators of God's churches in... Oh, excuse me, verse 13. And we, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. And my prayer is that your hearts would be open to receiving God's word here as it's taught by the leaders of this church. And that like the people in Macedonia, it continues to change your life. For some of you, giving you life and getting your eyes wide open to God's great love for you in Christ. For others, continuing on in that pilgrimage to growing to become more like Christ. And so that what is true and what was true of this church in Macedonia would be true of our church. That people started hearing about it. In Macedonia, in Achaia, and everywhere. They heard how these people responded to the word of God and it changed their life. So it turned those people who worshiped and bowed down before wooden and stone idols to serve the living God. And that people would hear about the gospel's work in our life and through our life. In Madison, in this state, in our country, and around the world. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we need your help. We need your help just to be people of prayer because we know who we are and we don't always pray. And that is just an insidious a reminder that we think we can do it in our own strength and we know we can't. And so remind us that we are desperately dependent upon you for all things. And so help us to be a praying church for each other. And we know that apart from your son's grace and your spirit's work in our life and the encouragement of brothers and sisters, that the things we're praying for in each other's lives would never happen. And so do your work, even as you've begun it, and thank you that you've promised to complete it until you come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, we stand in awe of you, your splendor, your majesty, your power, your glory. 
your grace, your faithfulness, your goodness to us. We are most blessed to be called your children, to be called into your service, to do this together. Father, I pray that as you open a new chapter in the history of Door Creek Church, that you would be pleased to bless this church as your instrument in this community and beyond. Would you just pour out rich blessing on Pastor Mark and the staff, the leaders, the whole congregation, that we might be salt and light in a world that so badly needs our witness. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you and trust for what you will do through us, that the glory might go to you. Now to him who is able to do infinitely more than all we could ever ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in Christ Jesus and in his church through all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Have a great week.